my friends. The great experiment. Down on the Lord. Thanks. Thanks. Hidden. Trick. Trick. Would you look at that? The greatest trick. Trick. You people, you're all astronauts. Some kind of star. Trick. Welcome to Greatest Trek. It's a new Star Trek podcast from the makers of The Greatest Generation. I'm Ben Harrison. I'm Adam Pranica. Hello. <laughs> hello. Why, hello. Been on tour a bunch lately. Mm-hmm. Uh, visited many fine cities. Oh, yeah. And one ugly one. <laughs> well... Yeah, speaking of, uh, we were just in Minneapolis. Uh-huh. I'm not sure when this episode comes out. Next Friday? No one knows. Who could really say? But a recent show of ours was in Minneapolis. Mm-hmm. We stayed across the street from a strip club that had a <laughs> troubling slogan on its awning. That's that's not uncommon for us. The troubling slogans or yeah. the across from a strip club. You book the hotels, so. I do, yeah. <laughs> This is something that uh, that made its way to us. I can't remember if I found this in the green. There, there were like a couple of things where we like found stuff in the green room. Oh, this includes a weird Klingon penis, hand drawn penis picture with uh, yeah. like four twenty dollar bills, <laughs> which you can see on uh, the uh, Greatest Trek Instagram yeah. page, I believe. Yeah, that was exciting to come off stage and see that. Yeah. There was a a sheaf of papers. Some might compare this sheaf to what the manifesto of uh, a lunatic might look like. Are you saying sheaf? Sheaf. With an F? Yeah. What is that? I don't know. It's like a whole bunch of... Oh, okay. (laughs) All right. I didn't look at it very closely because we were trying to be funny on stage. Mm. And, uh, Mm -hmm. you know... I didn't want to fail any worse than I was at the time. I, I saw you squirrel this away right away. I didn't get to see yeah. this. So uh, I brought it home, and I've had a chance this afternoon to page through it a bit. Mm-hmm. I think this <laughs> might be one of the best things that anybody has ever given us. Pretty big statement. And there's a letter. Ben and Adam. I'm a PhD candidate studying fandom and the kinds of things fans create. So every time you say, I wonder if there's porn of that, I shout at my car speakers, I know there is. And then I find it, (laughs) but I have no way to share it with you. (laughs) Do I realize these are just hypothetical musings for the benefit of your viewing audience and that when you wondered aloud on Lower Deck Season 4, Episode 2, Menagen... (laughs) <laughs> menage a nagerie, right if there was mariner slash ransom porn you didn't actually want someone to print it all out and bring it to you yes yes i do realize that do i care obviously not you're welcome slash i'm sorry your friendly neighborhood porn dealer and then porn dealers crossed out and replaced with academic kate from milwaukee and uh, kate gave us their email and also said that um It was uh, them that brought the spotted cow. Oh. That you came home with, which... uh, I came home with 11 out of the 12. Yeah. Actually, I came home with all 12. It's just one of them busted. One of them busted and saturated everything in your suitcase. Um, I didn't get any of them, just uh, for those keeping track at home. (laughs) Ooh. And then uh, also, uh, Kate added Binturong to the end of this. Ben, five of those beers are for you. Oh, (laughs) 
<laughs> you little so-and-so. Just being fair. I believe this is all one work from a a website where people- I thought you were going to show me porn. Those look like words. Yeah, this is words. Those it's, look it's, like a sheaf of words. It's the words kind of porn. Uh-huh. And, oh, I guess this one's like a really short one. And then there are some, oh, yeah. So maybe there's a bunch of longer ones. Um, you going to me- read me some short form porn? One one thing that we have been urged to do is mind the tags. So each, each of these has uh, highlighted tags of what kind of stuff you might find in a given erotic story. So well, that's considerate. There's one here called Hungry Hungry Mariner that uh, includes uh, Vor, BBW, Weight Gain, Replicator Malfunction, Weird Kink, Not Beta Red, Comedy, Crack Treated Seriously, Cannibalism, Author Regrets Nothing, Porn with Plot, Unwilling Prey, and Willing Prey. And uh, <laughs> Hold on. I... I have a question about a lot of those tags, but one specifically caught my ear. Crack treated seriously? <laughs> I don't know if that's crack the drug or crack the body part, but... Uh, wow. Either way, I think those things deserve to be taken seriously. Yeah. The summary of this story is, sure, Mariner's appetite has increased, but it's fine. It's nothing to worry about. And the replicators are down. And maybe her fellow crew members are starting to look small and rather appetizing but she's got everything under control and doesn't need any help with this. This takes place sometime around season three, spiced up with some Jennifer slash Mariner and a little Ransom slash Mariner. Work in progress. Comments encouraged. (laughs) I skimmed through it, but uh, a part of it that um, caught my attention was... uh, I need to get myself in the mood. I need to to turn the lights down a little bit. I'm going to give you a little dramatic reading here. I'm going to light... The ghost fucker candle behind me in the studio. There. Oh, yeah. That's oh, nice. it's starting to look, it's, it's moody. That's nice. Oh, I'm, you know what? I'm, I'm actually going to change. I'm going to, I'm going to change into some, do you want to just put something on more your comfortable. Wrath of Khan necklace and nothing else? Oh, yeah. <laughs> All right. That's, that's clipped on. I, I think I'm ready. Okay. Her tray had three large pieces of meat on it, complete with skin. One of them was very pale, one was light brown, and one was pale green. What kind of meat? Rutherford asked. Replicated meat, Mariner said through a mouthful. Damn, it tasted good. It was tender and savory and mouthwatering. Mariner, what kind of meat are you eating? Boimler asked, his voice rising in pitch with distress. Mariner swallowed. Okay, don't get mad, but remember when I got your DNA for that little science project? (laughs) Don't don't stop reading, Ben. Don't stop. <laughs> Do you, does that mean you want me to read harder and faster? No, I want you to read at the same pace, the same rate, the same pressure. So you're saying what I was doing was working? Yes. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, I don't I don't know if I want to subject the friends episode to any more than that. But uh, there are, as you can see, many different color coded paper clips here. So there are. Chapters and chapters and chapters of stuff where Beckett Mariner and Jack Ransom just fuck like rabbits. Ben, I know I speak for the entire FOD population when I say, is that it? 
You've got to read a, a segment that's dirty. You just have to. I was trying to like hint at, but not go like way over the line. We, you know, we're we're not a family show or anything. But uh, I think you, I think you could find something lascivious. All right. <laughs> All right. Let me relight the candle, and uh, I'm going to return down the lights, and uh, necklace is going back on. Okay, I'm ready. All right, this is a scene between Ransom and Mariner. Mm-hmm. I'm yours, Beckett. Yours to explore, to use as a learning tool. <laughs> I will do anything you want. Make love to you slowly and tenderly. Fuck you hard and fast. Teach you to pleasure a man, to take your pleasure from him. Teach you things I can tell you now that will make me jealous as hell when you move on. It will especially upset me if you take your new experience to Boimler. <laughs> I don't want Boimler, Jack. I want you. Then you have me, Beckett, for as long as you want me. And if that's an incredibly long time, even if it's till death. He continued to undress her until she stood naked before him, shyly gazing up at him as she wrapped her arms around herself, covering her bare breasts. He smiled down at her softly, a tenderness in his eyes. <laughs> That she'd never seen before. She blushed as she watched him free his long, thick cock from the <laughs> pants she'd undone at his encouragement. <laughs> Jack gently removed her arms from her breasts as he softly told her not to hide her beautiful body from him. He wrapped her small hand around his cock, <laughs> slowly guided it up and down the stiff shaft <laughs> as he leaned down it kissed her dark breast. All right, stop. <laughs> it's getting to a point where Uxbridge Shimoda LLC HR is going to is going to have complaints about what's going on on this yeah. episode. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh I think that would uh that was veering toward an area that would get us kicked off of uh all of the tubes mm. and possibly off of our network. I think that whatever this website is, you should be uploading some of your slash fiction to it and seeing how it does. Oh yeah, that's a good idea. I could do that. People love my slash fiction. You know, we have professionally recorded audiobooks yeah. of this. Should get like there's like services for that, yeah. you know? Yeah, that would be a good side hustle for me. I think so. I think so. Well, uh <laughs> a good side hustle for me might be, you know, Rick Stevesing my way through planets in the Star Trek universe. I think I could really get into that. And that is a, a thing that we learn exists in today's episode. Do you want to get into uh, today's episode of Lower Decks? I thought you'd never ask. I was hoping we would get into this about halfway through that reading. <laughs> then it's Star Trek Lower Decks Season 4, Episode 6, Parth Ferengi's Heart Place. You know the greatest danger facing us is an irrational fear of the unknown. Let's fly. I'm certain. Did you catch this reference? Oh, I, I understand all the references completely. Yeah. I get the point exactly. I'd never heard of this show, Garth Marenghi's Dark Place. It's the IT crowd, guys, but uh, before the IT crowd. Oh, really? Yeah. It's a, it's a TV show from... See, I was lying before about, about getting the reference. I didn't get it's it. It's a TV show from uh, from the UK. Oh. Yeah. Well, that's neat. Oh, look at this. It was produced in the 1980s for Channel 4, but never broadcast anywhere but Peru. Oh. Oh, I see. That's like in the fictional world of the show. I see, I see, I see. So uh, it it was actually made in 2004. 
Mm. I'm just trying to skim as as everybody that made it through the Marin can see I'm bad at skimming and finding the most interesting and salient information about something well it's it's a veritable sheaf of information you're trying to get through I get it is that not a word sheaf I, it is now you hold up a sheaf of papers never heard it before sheaf I, you're making me smarter by doing this show together a bundle of Grain stalks laid lengthwise and tied together after reaping. Now, this sounds like something you used to be able to say, but means something else now, Ben. I don't think you can say it. A bundle of objects of one kind, especially papers. He waved a sheaf of papers in the air. You keep saying the word. I think we got to bleep it out. I think it's okay. If you're using it in the context of explaining its original definition, it's okay. I don't think you can say sheaf unless you are, uh, you know... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Yikes, Adam. <laughs> so uh, even Ferengis can catch beam from that uh, ship that's been going around. We learn a little bit from some Ferengi lower deckers about how Grand Nagus Rom is getting the Ferengi alliance out of arms dealing and into some monetary projects that have long-term benefits but maybe don't pay off as big in the short term. Yeah, yeah. They take great umbrage with this. You got a ship full of valuable uh, lucre. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right? Why don't you turn that into some bars or whatever? Sometimes it's uh, it really takes the capitalists to be led by a powerful politician so that they understand that a, a fast nickel is not as good as a slow quarter, you know? I want to be rich now. One of these lower decker Ferengis is like, what's the captain going to do with this sheaf of mini Genesis devices? <laughs> and the other one is like, yikes, dude, sheaf? Really? <laughs> we, don't, we try not to say the S word on this ship. The main complaint is that they got into being lower decker Ferengis to uh, to get into arms sales. That was their whole deal. Yeah. They don't want to pivot into hospitality. That sucks, even though it is more profitable. Yeah, but uh, none of this is going to be a problem for them because they get vaporized or presumably vaporized before. Uh, do we, what, I mean, it seems like people are getting vaporized, right? We're not going to find that they're like all in some like forgotten dimension together later, are we? If they're being frozen or transported or anything other than dying here, it seems very painful. Well, sometimes that is better. Yeah. We saw the the Klingons from Wedge Dudge mm-hmm. get vaporized. Do you think that the Vulcans from Wedge Dudge are going to get vaporized too? And Teelin will find out that all of her former shipmates are fucking dead? I mean, I think she'd be fine with that because she's Vulcan. And yeah. and she's generally fine with everything. And the captain of that ship was a total dick to her. Yeah, yeah. But she's not going to have feelings about it one way or the other. Well. It's just a thing that happened. This is the rare now episode of Lower Decks with a cold open, mm-hmm. and that was it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Dead. All of them. That's what I think. I'm betting on dead. After the theme, we learned that Ferenginar is going to try to join the Federation. The uh, Toronto is there with the Cerritos to finish the negotiations off and receive their application formally. God, this Toronto's a handsome ship. You know I've had a crush on uh, on Nebula-class ships for a long time. Mm -hmm. This Toronto, while not a Nebula-class, 
makes me think of them during, you know? Mm, mm, yeah. <laughs> it's got an L.A. face with a nebula booty. <laughs> kind of amazing. An entire episode includes a ship named Toronto with absolutely no Canadian humor in it whatsoever. What about the Vancouver? That Was that the same design of ship? Was, is there a Canada class? There must be, and this must be a part of it. Yeah. Well, anyways, there's an admiral in command of the Toronto, and he thinks it's going to be super easy to get this signed. He's like, he's brimming with confidence, which, uh, you know, always leads to the downfall of characters on Lower Decks. It makes Moab 4 inside the dome look like Moab 4 outside the dome. (laughs) They are on board the Toronto uh, getting ready to host this meeting with Grand Nagus Rom and... First clerk, Lita. They roll in complete with like a Mayherdu alien valet. I thought that was yeah. fun. But it's like a lady Mayherdu? Yeah. Mayherdu! <laughs> I mean, around you, it's definitely Mayherdon't. Mm. Well, yeah. She heard my dramatic reading of space porn and yeah. had no interest. The details in scenes like this are so much fun. Like, I love the little canapes shaped like Starfleet insignias. Yeah, those are fun. I like the uh, I like the big uh, latinum bust of the Admiral and then the invoice that follows up. That's just their ceremony. That's their way. That's part of their culture. With all the grubbin that the Ferengi do, you'd think they'd be a great target for the nubbin folks, right? Because, oh, like, man. try to imagine conspiracy transposed over to Ferenginar and their culture. (laughs) Like, a major Ferengi captain would enter that meeting with a bunch of folks at headquarters and they're all eating worms. He's like, nothing different about this. (laughs) We're all grubbing on grubs. I'm used to relishing in my body. This looks rad. These grubs are (laughs) bussing. I've been eating them my whole life. Is there something that we could do with the fact that nubbin rhymes with grubbin? And bussin. And bussin. <laughs> yeah, put a pin in that. We'll figure that out right. at some other point yeah. in the future. Um, yeah, so uh, with this invoice issued, we smash down to the repair bay where Rutherford and Tendy are being total cutesy pies, practicing engineering together, and Mariner's in a foul mood. Stop staring at me. Shut up. Talking to Boimler and Ransom comes in and doesn't fuck everybody, but in, instead uh, has some orders for the betas. And Teelan is not in this episode, is she? This is what happens when you have your Star Trek podcast co-host read you porn. Like, every character seems like a sex object. Kind yeah. of ruins everything. Yeah. It's like, how, how do you go through life like this? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Got to lay off the lower decks porn. Yeah. Get back to normal. Yeah, the lieutenant's junior's grades are going to be the Rick's Steve's of the Federation and go down to Ferenginar and try out all the different uh, hospitality options there are and uh, write their reviews, write write things down so that that people who go on vacation there now that Ferenginar is in the Federation and you don't have to go through a complicated visa process – We'll know where to go and where to eat and what to do. Travel guide duty! I thought that was a myth. Someone's got to do it. Might as well be them. This is like the best duty. Like besides pleasing that booty, this is the best duty that you could possibly get. 
Mm-hmm. It's not the first duty, but it is the best. Yeah. The greatest trick is yet to come. This is the first of several scenes in this episode where Mariner is clearly upset about something that she doesn't want to talk about and maybe doesn't quite understand within herself. Yeah. She has not known thyself enough to know what this is. Like people keep asking her yeah. what's eating her and uh, and she she won't fess up. At this point, it's not ransom. See, fuck. <laughs> the reading totally ruined me. <laughs> I can't yeah, think I mean, about anything else. I did say eaten. And right. so yeah, it was dangling right there for you to do. You know who does know thyself? Maybe the best of all of them is Boims. Yeah. He wants to set the land speed record for vacation hotspot coverage, and he gets going right on out of there. This is a thing that we talk about all the time. Like, do you want to go on vacation and, and like lie at a poolside and read a book? Or do you want to like go up every pyramid and visit every museum and taste every food and and all of that find yourself a partner that is compatibly whichever one of those you are yeah i think that is what i'm turning to the camera right now fods this is so important (laughs) it's so important you're on the same page with being either a tourist or a vacationer those are very different things Different vibes. Yeah. I'll pack my schedule so full that I do everything and enjoy nothing. It's not a contest, Lieutenant. You can be both, you know? D- yeah. Different trips can be set up with different goals, but uh, best to lay that lay your cards on the table before you go so that yeah. when you get there and you're trying to chill poolside and everybody's like, get in the car. <laughs> you're not like, hey, <laughs> don't call me a loser. I don't want to go shopping. Like you're in Europe a week before a live show. For example, <laughs> no. <laughs> Tendi and Rutherford's task will be to act as a couple because it's very important that, like, you need things to get reviewed as a as a solo visitor and also as a as a coupled visitor. And they are extremely overconfident about their ability to uh, act as if. Let's go get packed, honey. <laughs> so they will be. Uh... Sort of like the James Bond and Bond girl du jour checking into hotels under under the same name. They beam down to the planet and uh, everybody kind of splits up and heads their own way almost immediately. Uh, Mariner's going to go check in on an old pal and Boimler's got his hotel and Rutherford and Tendi uh, have their hotel. And they get in line and talk about all the fun things that they'll be able to do given their cover as a married couple. And uh, Tendy just tosses out, uh, walk around topless in front of Rutherford because who cares about nudity in their situation? Sure. I uh, I love being married to my husband. I love you too. This is like one of those conversational landmines you can get into when you're doing bits with the person. <laughs> yeah. One bit too far. Yeah. That, uh... That caused a lot of blushing in this scene. Yeah. Yeah, but it's too late now. They're getting a great deal at the Loeb's Lodge for lovers only. Yeah. And uh, elsewhere in this hotel, Boimler has checked into his room, and uh, it comes with a toilet you have to spend money on in order to use, and this would be a very expensive item. 
for me. Yeah. Well, except for if uh, if you have you know gold medallion Bonvoy membership or whatever, right. then they waive the fees. Yeah. Always tantalizingly close, but never there. <laughs> Boims turns on the TV and it's Mario Lopez at top volume. <laughs> Even on Ferenginar. There he yeah, is. There he is. Every hotel TV for some reason. Yeah. The ads really lure Boimler in. Like he it, it's like, wow, what a what a fun, like little cultural artifact to see an, an advertisement mm-hmm. of all things. <laughs> they just lie to you? Hilarious. And then he sees an ad for the show that's coming up next on this uh, channel is called Cop Landlords. It looks absolutely amazing. I really hope that they make just an entire episode of this. As a short tricks? Yeah, just just make a like a 30-minute Cop Landlords episode that is like a straight Cop Landlords episode with no nothing adorning it to, to say that it's Star Trek or anything. It's just Ferengi Cop Landlords kicking indoors and making people sign... Updated lease agreements and shit. Just sign the lease, dirtbag. No. I'm not saying this to diminish any other part of this episode or any other part of creating new Star Trek. But in this episode, in this project, breaking it, this has to be the funnest part of the episode is writing (laughs) Cop Landlords. It's so great. (laughs) I, like, I say all that about making an episode of it thinking that it would be fun and funny to watch. But like, I also have to acknowledge that like, I don't experience media the same way a lot of people do. Like when I watch cops, I see it as like an exercise in like tragic futility. Yeah, I know that feeling. These cops like driving around pretending that they're like cool and, and like they're helping anything. And every episode is exactly the same. And like, extremely sad if you like take one step back and actually look at the circumstances in it most things are i don't think i don't think like most people watch cops and like that's their takeaway you know yeah so i'm worried if they made cop landlords people would be like yeah cops and landlords are really cool yeah i'd still want to see it (laughs) (laughs) elsewhere at the uh at the grub brunch Mariner meets up with Quimp. This is a dude we've seen before. He's the guy that pretended to be a a mugger to make Boimler feel like a brave officer again. Yeah, he's like in like episode two or three of season one. Yeah. I want to say. This is a moment where Mariner looks like she could be opening up about her Miriam frustrations. And she is pretty clear about a couple of them professionally. But they're pretty superficial. And before getting too deep, she wants to get into a couple of drinks. Yeah, it's early in the day. She is uh, she is here to go hard and let loose. And yeah, she says it's like her mentor mm-hmm. is the locus of her displeasure, but doesn't get into it much more than that. My stupid mentor won't stop trying to make me feel like a valued part of the team. Oh, sounds like a real nightmare. You would hate it too. I think it's pretty clear based on what we read uh, earlier that it is sexual tension. She just wants to she just wants to fuck ransom. Oh god. <laughs> she wants to work that shaft at him. <laughs> There's something so the detail of that. Yeah. God. I think also because like we 
we have kind of a friendly relationship with Tawny Newsom, and it like it's it's definitely weird to read that about somebody that you've like hung out with, you know. I wasn't even thinking about that at all in those terms, but now I am. God, <laughs> now I feel worse. I regret reading it. <laughs> the greatest trick. We're back on the Toronto, where uh, Rom is as dumb as we remember from Deep Space Nine. Yeah. He's totally simple ramming here. Uh, he's into baseballs. He's into one and two syllable words. Baseball. But he also wants to edit the contract. And Lita pulls the Admiral and Captain Freeman off to the side to explain what this is all about. Like, throw this idiot a bone yeah. and we can wrap things up here. He just wants to feel like he's involved. But Freeman knows something vital about this negotiation and that's like they're working on a on a sealed document and to reopen it leaves them open to changing a bunch of terms about a bunch of things and not just one yeah this admiral is as confident as he was in the beginning he's fine with this i mean like this has already gone from being the easiest admission to the federation ever to not just based on this but it's interesting, like the dynamic that's sort of set up, like Lita is sort of the power behind the throne or like the personal assistant to the executive that is mm -hmm. secretly running the company or whatever. Yeah. She is kind of playing everybody in either direction. Like she's playing Rom and like, we'll get him like some numbers to change. So he feels like he did something and I'll just like, you know, like make the Federation feel like they're in on it so that they feel like... Uh, you know, they're not being manipulated or, or you know, forced to change terms that they wouldn't naturally want to change. And wouldn't you know it, as soon as they agree to open the contract, Rom becomes, I mean, I won't say smart again, but uh, <laughs> he's a little more with it yeah. than he was previously. Down in his room, Boimler has pretty much stopped working his itinerary and has now made it all the way through the uh, the show he was watching and is on to the next show, which is uh, less. I feel like they should have put put these in the other order. Maybe I feel like cop landlords is like is like a funnier payoff than uh, uh -huh. than the like unrequited uh -huh. love show or whatever. But I mean, trash TV. Like this is like two main pillars of of just leave it on in the background style television, right? Yeah. Yeah, he's watching the like TLC of Ferenginar, basically. One of the parts of this episode, this season, and maybe this entire series happens in this scene where Boimler is absolutely shocked that they have commercials in the shows and compares it to a form of mind control. And up on the wall behind him is an unmistakably similar looking image of, of a Paramount logo in a frame with its stars <laughs> twinkling around it. Yeah, it's good stuff. Love that. <laughs> you know, I watched this episode twice and I noticed that the first time, but I did not notice it the second time. <laughs> <laughs> I like that a lot. Uh <laughs> Rutherford and Tendi really get the business from this hotel. They're like trying to check into their room and uh, there's going to be like a like a boner concierge working them through all of the offerings that this hotel has 
I guess for like newlyweds, it's kind of like a like a horny honeymoon hotel. Did I mishear? I th- I thought his job was hugsierge. Are you saying that that he's actually a tugsierge? Yeah, I got the sense that it was more that second thing. Oh, jeez. It's me, Parth, your hugsierge. Okay. <laughs> First thing is a, a little photo shoot. They get in some evening wear, you know, do a bunch of poses, and uh, they get a little. This is all, you know, it's it's pushing the two people that are trying to avoid each other at the high school dance because they're they're scared of the feelings that they have for one another. There were no merkins at my high school dances, though. Yeah, I really wanted to see Rutherford in the banana hammock. I mean, Tendi in the like birthday hat bra would have been fun too, but Rutherford in the banana hammock is what we want. The detail that is so funny to me is that the way that the cartoon camera angle is, is that you can see inside the banana hammock yeah. and that it's fuzzy in there is great. It's a plush interior. Yeah. <laughs> I've never worn one of these things before, obviously. I was delighted that uh, that it had fur inside. Have you worn one of these before? I was trying to think if, like, in an intimate situation, it would be of any use in my life. I don't think my wife cares about that. <laughs> Maybe she does. Maybe she would think it was sexy. I don't know. Is this... It's never come up. Is this the gateway drug into furrydom? Like... Once you cram your junk into a furry thing, like that probably is very instructive as to whether or not you're into more fur or maybe it just doesn't do anything for you. Listen, I've also (laughs) not participated in furrydom, but I think it may be sort of the opposite. And here's my logic. Okay. The inside of the furry suit is the back of the the artificial fur, which is a sort of a rough material. Yeah, and this banana hammock is is flipping that. It's putting the the fuzzy toward the junk. It's, it's usurping the dominant paradigm. Right. Yeah. So in many ways, it's the anti furry to wear this particular cod piece. You remember there was a furry at Star Trek Las Vegas, and if I'm misusing that word, ah, furry. There were plenty of furries. There's always furries at STLV. Is furry only sex stuff, or is furry a person wearing a furry costume? No, I think that there are lots of people that, I think that like definitely tons of it is sex stuff. But a way I've heard it described is furry culture is like a fandom without a corporation selling the thing that you are a fan of. Yeah. Like, People are fans of each other's furry cosplay. And I mean, the moment that Gatorade gets into selling to furries. Yeah, right. Yeah. They're going to be the first. Like Arctic Wolf and Summer Fox. <laughs> After fucking your way through giant cows, giant foxes, and giant elephants, you're going to need something to quench your thirst. And nothing quenches your thirst quite like wet bunny pussy <laughs> from Gatorade. Is it on your face? I unplugged my headphones. I was, I was, uh, I was laughing. <laughs> oh, that's great. Yeah, that was weird. So to close the circle on your observation earlier, <laughs> when I see a furry walking around, I should. Uh-huh. Assume that the interior is soft and furry like this merkin we're seeing. 
Oh, in the oh, shot, maybe, right? yeah. That's the thing, man. Like, if you're into the sex part of being a furry, do you really want like a double layer of fur right around where it gets the smelliest? For both the heat and uh, the cleanup, yeah. I don't think you do. I think you want a smooth surface. Yeah. You could just squeegee it right off. Uh, yeah, they punch out before the lingerie photo shoot pops off, and uh, it's probably for the best, right? Oh, yeah. The fuzzy interior of that thing is never going to be the same. But they looked fucking phenomenal in the dress and the suit, though. They did. They did. Like, they did have a moment. Oh, boy, is it extremely warm in here? You bet it is, soldier. The dress looked like it uh, It was probably originally sold to the ladies of Kronos, though. Mm, yeah. It's a boob window dress. Hey, Cheetahs don't deserve nothing in Latino. Top of the morning to ya. This episode is brought to you by the St. Patrick's Day Shamrock Shavers Manscaped. This year, don't just chase rainbows. Make your own pot of gold and groom your little leprechaun with the leaders in below-the-kilt care. I didn't make that up. That's actual copy sent to us by the great folks over at Manscaped who make the shaver that I use downstairs on my little leprechaun. And uh, I recommend it. Uh, it works great. Uh, trimming the hedges in your Irish garden isn't just for below the belt. You can complete your look with their new signature Beard Hedger Pro Kit plus Handyman Electric Face Shaver. Everything they make is really good and high quality. And this new trimmer that they have comes with two interchangeable next-gen skin-safe blades. They've got one for a classic trim and a new foil blade to go smooth wherever your heart desires. So get 20% off plus free shipping with code TREK at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and get free shipping with code TREK at manscaped.com. This St. Patrick's Day, make sure your little hairy leprechaun is luckier than ever with Manscaped. I spent a lot of last week sick in bed. And one thing I was so happy I had when I needed something to eat but didn't really have the energy to cook myself something was Factor Meals. Got a couple of these in the fridge at all times, and they are delicious, fresh, never frozen, chef-crafted meals. And they're ready to go in just about two minutes. And this is convenience food that is actually tasty and full of real ingredients and not hyper-processed crap. And they got you covered all throughout the day. They got pancakes, smoothies, grab-and-go bites, and uh, you can get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Plus, you can pause and reschedule deliveries at any time. So head to factormeals.com slash trek50 and use code trek50 to get 50% off. That's code trek50 at factormeals.com slash trek50 to get 50% off. It has been a long time coming that podshop.biz is as good as it is. The stuff on there is just really high quality and there's a ton of variety. We've got t-shirts and sweatshirts, obviously, but we've got hats, we've got mugs, we've got water bottles, patches, mouse pads, shower shoes. There's so much great stuff on there. I'm really proud of what we have on offer. I'm proud that the store has a lot of really great size-inclusive options, and uh, I think there's enough variety that just about any friend of DeSoto could find something that they'd really love to have in their collection at podshop.biz. So head over there and give it a look. Why don't you? Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? 
Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. This ship and her history will shortly become the care of another crew. They will continue the voyages we have begun. The greatest trek. We cut over to the library, which you could assume isn't quite a library and more a casino. Mm -hmm. Yeah. From the outside, just like everything else on Frankenar. <laughs> Frankie Public Library is like a more popular The Rio Hotel in Las Vegas, Nevada. Truly is. Yeah. <laughs> First, I was skeptical, but Frankie Public Libraries go hard. I told you, nobody's read a book in here in a thousand years. <laughs> Hey, I got an email from the Rio that was like, check it out. We're making improvements and uh -huh. they're starting soon. But first, we're going to close just about everything. The only thing that's staying open is the Purple Zebra, which will continue to be available from 1 to 1.30 p.m. on Saturdays. Dude, I just know that Star Trek Las Vegas is returning to the Rio next year, no matter what, unless... The Rio renovates completely and becomes nice ahead of time. Then Star Trek Las Vegas is taking their business elsewhere. Yeah, it's going to be at Circus Circus. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I thought that Ferengi Beer Helmet was a great idea. It's one of those Lower Decks ideas where I immediately went to the Star Trek store to see if it was available for sale, and it is not. You're going to be disappointed every time you do that, Ben. Why can't they make Ferengi helmet of beer? I don't know. Why doesn't John Van Sitters return an email? I just, I just don't understand it. Yeah. Quimp is like the sort of friend that is happy to host you. Like you're in from out of town. You're in, like you want to party together like you used to. Yeah. Happy to be a tour guide. But even Quimp has a limit. Quimp's like, hey, you know, you seem pretty happy in this library. He kind of turns to leave, but as he does that, he gets something spilled on him. And Mariner is the type of person that you don't want to go to a bar with ever because Oof. she's got that short fuse that is so ready for a fight. She is just instigating here. Yeah. This poor guy was just trying to have a quiet evening out with his biker gang. Catches those hands from Mariner. Sounds like this guy's all barking no fight. <laughs> 
This used to be a quality I would encounter a lot, like in college and after college. Oh, yeah. Before I finally managed to uh, distance myself from people who are like this with some finality. There's definitely a, like, my frontal lobe hasn't fully formed yet type of dude who's, yeah. like, 23 and is at the bar, like, looking for somebody to pick a fight with. This poor guy is just having drinks with his biker gang. <gasps> they're, they're sweet as hell out there. Yeah. Nope, just... Mariner's not going to let that slide. Yeah. And, uh, and drags poor Quimp into the fight, too. Yeah. Bummer. Speaking of bummers, we are reminded of the Starfleet experience at the Las Vegas Hilton. Yeah. And it no longer existing. On a Code 47, we recently opened up the, uh, we got the menus from mm-hmm. the real Corks Bar and Restaurant Starfleet experience at the Vegas Hotel. I was hoping they would shout out some of the dishes in this scene because uh, Rutherford yeah. and Tendy show up to it. Anything about uh, chocolate statues? Wearing very little clothing. Oh yeah, look at this in the uh, in the final frontier, which is what the dessert menu is called. It is you wear the lingerie from the lingerie photo shoot that you didn't do earlier mm. and are rendered in chocolate, and then you eat each other. That's nice. It's not just a matter of taste; it's the whole experience. This episode really is the uh, the vor. <laughs> It is. Fanfic of uh, Lower Decks, isn't it? I love to see Ferengi dressed as Starfleets here, like with with their own ill-fitting uniforms and and like Vulcan haircuts and stuff. Yeah, it's good stuff. (laughs) We learned that uh, the the tradition with sexy chocolate statues of your lover is you take bites of it and then say something you like about the person, which this entire thing seems like decidedly anti-Ferengi. Like, the Ferengis hate root beer because it's too cloying and sweet. It's insidious. All they want to do is eat bugs and, like, extract lucre from people. It doesn't seem like a culture that would create a ritual like eating a chocolate statue of your sexy partner and saying things you like about them. In what amount of time did Lita and Rom change the entirety of Ferengi culture in this way? Because, I mean, this is one aspect, but also, like, there is no Ferengi female nudity here across the board. I think that Zek, what Zek started, Rom finished, you know? Yeah, I, I would agree. I mean, that's the only explanation for this. They're getting ready to break it to their tug chaperone when... Um, tug chaperone? The alarms go off in the restaurant and a different couple is caught with their chips and guac as having lied about their relationship status to get special discounts from the restaurant. This is like saying it's your birthday and getting the little birthday Sunday and the clapping and the singing when it's not. Oh, man. Can't do that. No. That's no way to con your way into a free sombrero. No. The punishment for this is severe. It is hard labor. It seems really bad. These people have to go to some kind of mine that's under underwater, it sounded like. Mm-hmm. Subaquatic sulfur mines! Rutherford and Tendy don't want to get into that. And so uh, when, when they come back, they are warned that the chairs can detect if you're lying. So they're going to have to do this sexy chocolate statue eating contest the honest way. Yeah. 
Back with Mariner, Quimp has bailed her out of jail, and they're walking around outside, and he's upset about this whole situation. He's he's upset that they got into a bar fight and that he had to bail her out, sure. But he's also upset that Mariner hasn't changed over the years and that her rebellion seems pretty unmotivated. Like, they're supposed to be close friends, and he doesn't really have an idea of why she is the way she is, why she's such a self-sabotager. Usually your chaos means something, but it's weird this time. You seem angry about nothing. Mariner apologizes to him, and like he does that thing where he's a good enough friend to not ask why she does the things that she does, but he just kind of asks her to try to figure this out for herself, which I thought was such an interesting version of close friendship you know like so often the version of close friends portrayed in tv and movies is like hey hey let's sit down and like just dump it out you know like <laughs> like lay it on me like like give me your baggage to carry mm-hmm. oh yeah i, I think will... i read one of these stories that uh, <laughs> yeah that was sent in about dumping it out that it involved a shaft yeah yeah But, like, I really like the version depicted here, which is like, look, I'm your friend, and I'm noticing that you're struggling here, and I really want to impress on you how important it would be if you, like, did a little work in this area. You don't have to tell me all about it if you're not comfortable doing it, but, like, I just got to point this out, that this is a thing. Yeah. I thought that was good. Yeah, this is all done in the, uh, on the grounds of the Dominion War and Memorial where Varanganar has identified all of the profits lost in, in war. It's so sad. So much lost income! Is there no justice in this galaxy? Are you telling me that the Ferengi couldn't figure out a way to make money off of a fucking war? Yeah, that doesn't make sense to me. That does not track. That's madness. Uh, yeah. Mike McMahon? <laughs> Really great to see you at the convention. I got a question. How is it the Ferengi were not able to turn a profit off the Dominion War? That seems crazy to me. That's like what they're known for. And in an episode where there's so many depictions of casinos and gambling, are you suggesting that there's like a kind of person who represents a greed is good kind of business acumen mentality who in fact would fail at something as guaranteed to turn a profit as arms dealership or casino? I'm also curious about uh, what sort of pornography you consume and whether or not that kind of changes your relationship to uh, people and characters. Uh, in your life or or your creative work. Like, for example, your coworkers, you know, people you've cast in the show that you are the creator of and, you know, lead writer of have been depicted uh, uh, in some, you know, compromising circumstances by the fandom. Do you consume any of that and what do you, what do you make of it? I'll take my answer uh, at the hot dog stand. Get a light. Ben, you just eat your hot dog there, like, from the middle of the shaft. 
Adam forced me to take my arms away from my bare hot dogs and (laughs) (laughs) told me not to hide my beauty. Would you look at that? Back at the uh, Las Vegas Hilton, Rutherford and Tendi are finishing eating their statues and uh, they've managed to navigate this challenge in in that innocent way where their compliments are very non-sexy. The one that we hear is about is complimentary to each other's hairstyles. Yeah. And they think that they've succeeded in the ruse, but it's not over. It's not no. over because the next step is consummating the marriage in a box where everyone can hear. This is like seven minutes in heaven, but seven minutes in box with microphones, I guess. Yeah, yeah. and uh, Tendi is boof. You can come a little closer. Speaking of Boof, Maglimo is being led to his Boof at the restaurant. They're like walking past him, and he comes close to getting them in a lot of trouble. Yeah. By outing them as having a platonic friendship that everybody can see right through. Platonic? Security! How dare you call us only friends? Miglimo, for as long as we've known this character, has never had any chill. <laughs> no. So you would assume in a situation like this, he would be exactly the worst person to confront. Yeah. There's a little, like, if you know, you know joke here, which is that Tendi and Rutherford are sort of improvising, yes-anding each other as they imply that Maglimo is part of their thruple slash love triangle and is trying to break them up. And uh, I just, you know, like somebody who has uh, made such a career for himself out of, you know, comedy and improv as Paul F. Tompkins being the victim of that, I thought was a really funny uh, little element of the script. I know we've talked about this before, but like, when PFT does that thing with his voice where he gets really, really sad and apologetic. Yeah. You ruined our marriage! We'll never forgive you! I didn't realize! I'm sorry! Please don't break up because of me! It's so funny to me when yeah. he does this. He's really good at it. They go from thruple to divorce to Tendi being with Miglimo or maybe not in, in zero seconds. <laughs> it really happens fast. I I think I have like such a tragically conventional sex sex and relationship life and history that I was just like I don't know what just happened. Oh yeah, you got to draw this out. But it seemed to satisfy the needs of the scene. I don't know I don't know what that was. <laughs> yeah, we're not in it for any amount of time longer than this. We're back at Rom's palace where they're they're finalizing the terms of this negotiation with the admiral and Freeman and Rom and Lita and yeah. The Admiral is just being totally humiliated here. It's amazing that he can do those dance moves while he's being bent over a barrel like this. What? Captain! Keep dancing. Freeman has watched this for the entire episode and finally steps in. She offers terms to this deal that seem, on the surface, completely insane. Way too generous for the Federation. But one of the terms is they must recruit another planet for Federation membership themselves, the the Ferengi do. Yeah. And this seems easy enough. The Ferengi encounter all kinds of planets, many of which are uh, indebted to them. But uh, what they didn't count on, 
for these signing bo- bonuses is that it is a specific planet that Freeman has written into the contract, and it's Kronos. Rom looks at the pad and looks up to Freeman, and, and he's like, what is Kronos? <laughs> is it anything like baseball? I like baseball. It's fun. <laughs> the swindle does go well, Toronto. Yeah. Yeah, it works. Freeman's smart. Freeman's smart. She's used the eighth rule of acquisition to get Rom and Lita's respect. That's all they wanted from Jump. They they didn't want to roll them over like this. No. As much as we're in favor of joining the Federation, the Grand Nagus can't sign with a bunch of suckers and rubes. It's sort of a the Vulcan hello, but for Ferengis. <laughs> yeah, slightly less cheesy at the end. Yeah. So, uh... Yeah, Rom gets out his uh, official crayon and signs the application, and it's like the the original, like plain Jane vanilla version of the application. Yeah, and that is uh, that is a big moment in Starfleet history. The Ferengi are joining. I thought for a second this was too much for a lower decks episode. I was like, really, like. <laughs> This is canon. The, the Ferengi have joined the Federation on a Lower Decks episode, and it's like Freeman and an admiral who's never given a name. Like, yeah. they do it. But like in one of the last scenes, Freeman tells us it's just the first step, like the first right. step of many. So, yeah. I, I, it's just an application. Did you get into every college you applied to, Adam? Yes, I did. I got God it every one of them. Okay, bad example. You're a fucking genius. Or whatever. I only applied to three. It, it upped my chances. I didn't get into my first pick, so. Harvard, Oxford, and the Sarbonne were, <laughs> were my three. <laughs> and, and you went to state. Yeah, and I, I ultimately ended up at a state school. <laughs> it just ended up being the best choice for me yeah, and my emotional yeah. needs. I didn't want to travel that far from my family. Yeah, imagine going home from the Sarbonne to uh, <laughs> to do your laundry. <laughs> Very inconvenient. Boimler has not stopped watching TV. Everybody else did a good mission, according mm-hmm. to Ransom, but they have to they have to rescue Boimler, and the rescue takes the form of a um, bit of a landlord cop, <laughs> I would say. You just surrendered your deposit and your life. Oh, that's fun. Yeah, complete with uh, phaser lasso wielding security folks. Yeah. Why is this necessary? Like, is he being evicted from the hotel room because he overstayed his checkout time? I didn't understand why he couldn't just walk out of there. He's too brainwashed by the TV. Yeah, I guess he's never going to get out of there on his own. You're right. He said it was only eight hours. Yeah, I mean, if you're staying at the Loeb's Lodge for less than 24, I think... You're probably in a wing that's uh, that's for other stuff. This is how like naive you become when you live in a post-scarcity utopian society. Is like you mm. go to some fucked up planet and check into a hotel that offers hourly rates, mm. and you don't even know what that connotes. Yeah, this is a scene in an episode full of scenes where Ransom's coolness is suspicious to me. Oh. Are you suspicious about this? Like I. This seems like a different kind of ransom this season than we've gotten in the seasons before. He's like out jetting jet. 
Yeah. He's like the second coolest person on the Cerritos. We're used to him being cool to crew people of his own rank or above or whatever, like yeah. the popular kids. But he, it's in these like quiet moments where he's not even around anybody, right? Like the yeah. thing where like he says that he likes that lieutenant about Boimler. Yeah. Like nobody's there to hear that. He, that's That seems like he's sincerely saying that to himself. I know. Yeah. Well, Ransom might like that lieutenant, but did you like this episode, Ben? She'll always bring it home. I did like this episode. I liked spending some time in urban Ferenginar. <laughs> like, low-key, this is kind of a big love letter to Deep Space Nine, because, like, that's really the only series where we spend any time here and, like, the Ram and Lita characters and like the continuation of their story and what Ferenginar is like is all deep, deep space nine lore and uh, having like the real actors back to, to reprise their roles for Ram and Lita was so cool to hear Max Grudenchik and Chase Masterson like do the bits. And I love the dynamic where, you know, Ram is sort of like, they're sort of playing politics in this very funny way like Ram is playing the dumb dumb yeah and she's playing the like get shit done personal assistant and it's really like a team effort to present a thing to the world that normies feel like they can wrap their minds around but they're really like working the world yeah in their own way uh, it's really cool and I kind of I kind of buy a totally changed Ferengi society under the leadership of a pair like them I mean, you're still paying to use the toilets, though. Yeah. But that's just culture, man. You know, that's just their way. Like, you're never going to totally change them. There was something about Max Grudenchik's performance in Deep Space Nine that was so, I have too many teeth in my mouth. I am so derpy. Like, (laughs) so much changed about the Rom character between Deep Space Nine and this that, like, Yes, very happy Max and Chase are here, obviously. But, like, is Rom with it enough to really be <laughs> Grand Nagus, knowing everything we know? I think he is. And, I, and, and what I'll say about that is, like, we know that Rom is an engineer, and we know that Rom is a labor man. Yeah, two great things. He really has, like, a heart and a, and a sense of the difference between right and wrong. And whether he is like an intellect or not is sort of immaterial when he's got Alita by his side. Yeah, you you do not need to be intelligent to be uh, a public figure or a or a political figure of status for sure. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I thought it was great. I like the episode. I thought it was really funny in a lot of parts. I I am frustrated by Mariner acting the way she does episode after episode. And it's hard because it's a cartoon, but like there are expressions on her face that make it seem as though she knows the reason why and she just can't articulate it. Yeah. I think I needed like 5% of that articulation in this episode, but for there to be nothing around many of her closest friends, and this isn't the only episode where this has happened, like... She needs to share her pain and grow stronger for the sharing. I'm getting frustrated and not in a good way about how long this is getting drawn out. Yeah. 
That's where I'm at. I mean, I'm getting frustrated about the the tilt ship too. Like it sort of feels like they are trying to have a big arc this season, but really they have a bunch of episodes and the like the arc it, it is feeling a little stapled on maybe. Yeah. Like the episodes in a vacuum I think are all good, but I agree. I think what I would prefer is a little quicker pace, you know? Mhm. Mhm. I mean, we got 10 episodes here. Yeah. You could fit another episode in here if you just squeeze some of these stories tighter. You're saying you would like a pace picante. Yeah. Yeah. That is what I'm saying. Well, I would like a P1 or two, you know? Is that too much to ask? Ben, I've wrapped my hand around the cylinder of the P1, and uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm seeking to extract what it's got. Oh, boy. <laughs> okay. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Adam, we have P1 spurting at us, and... Uh, Just stop. Before my mouth is full, I'm going to read this first one. It's from Hannah and Mikey, and it's to Sammy. It goes like this. Congrats on your move to the Twin Cities. I'm going to miss you and your help keeping our fridge free from leftovers and your enthusiasm for sharing the best, latest trek with us. But we're so excited for you. Jeez, I, I hope Sammy moved to Minneapolis in time to see the live show. We were oh. just there. Yeah, we were just there. And that's actually where we came into contact with these... Uh, Horny, horny stories where people are eating each other and stuff. <laughs> Congrats on the move, Sammy. I, I yeah. hope you enjoy many a Wisconsin Supper Club style mm-hmm. meal Yeah, while you're in the Twin Cities. I would say moving to the Twin Cities in the fall is a special kind of masochism. Like, yeah. It's sort of like Adam moving to a different city like the week before the COVID pandemic started. Yeah. Like, yeah, try to beat that timing. You're in for some fucking shit. <laughs> yeah, hopefully you're out of your boxes by now. Yeah. And you're enjoying life in the Twin Cities. Ben, our second priority one message is from Kate, the future doctor of fanfic. Like, for real. And it's to Ben and Adam. Whoa, this is the Kate from... From the sheaf. Ben, listen to this. Bad bit moment. In S4E2, Menagerie, you wondered if there was Mariner random porn, and I thought it would be funny to bring a stack of fanfic to the Minneapolis show. You thought it was a manifesto, and were rightfully terrified. My bad. (laughs) Also, sorry the beer was warm. It was a long drive from Milwaukee. Kate! You just closed the loop on our greatest Trek episode. (laughs) Amazing. Oh, man. That is wild. Kate, also, that beer was cold. Like, when when we found that 12-pack, I was like, this must have been in the fridge right before it it made it up to the stage. I mean, maybe Kate's talking about the bottles, which were definitely room temperature, which was what I drank during the show. Oh, you d- <laughs> Okay. But right. also, room temperature spotted cow, I thought would be bad, but it, it was good. I enjoyed it very much. It's like a cascale. It's, it's good at room temperature. Yeah. Yeah, it was nice. Thanks, Kate. We got cans and bottles of spotted cow, I and I think you got all of them. <laughs> I did, and I will, in trade, give you several of them. It's fine. You, you keep them. I want you to have them. How dare you? And I want Friends of DeSoto to have Priority One messages, which can be gotten by going to MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron. Hey, Ben. 
What's that, Adam? Did you discover yourself an Edward Larkin? I don't want to, well, actually you. But I also, like you, wondered a lot as I was going through this episode, what about the Ferengi tradition, which, you know, tradition is a word that's making a bad thing sound like a good thing. And I'm not trying to say that. Uh, But the, the Ferengi custom of women being forced to be nude all the time mm-hmm. and not being allowed to work. And we see lots of Ferengi women in this episode who are not nude. Mm-hmm. But at one point in the Star Trek Experience restaurant, off in the deep background, you can see that there is a nude Ferengi woman. An orthodox Ferengi. And I was like, that kind of makes sense to me. Like yeah. that as a society liberalizes, there's still people that cling to the old ways inevitably. It's true. And- I thought it was uh, very interesting that they thought about that enough on the production side to put that lady back there. And so in honor of just a, like, it is shit like that that makes you realize how much the people making this show know their Trek and love their Trek, that they thought about that too and made a way of giving like a realistic depiction of like what a transitional period in Ferengi society might look like. And so uh, for that reason, naked Ferengi lady in the background is my Edward Larkin. That was such an interesting pick and the case was made so well. How could I possibly (laughs) choose anything besides that? (laughs) Jesus, Ben. (laughs) On an episode like this, that was filled with actual... Pornography. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I wasn't going to say pornography. I was going to say slash fiction, but like, yeah, that that you actually had an academic take at the end. Yeah. I mean, that's just the greatest Trek promise, isn't it? You're never going to see these film papers coming. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. When you see the film paper ahead, what you're doing is, a, is you're missing the two attacking from the side. <laughs> Clever papers. Clever papers. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Film paper writer, if you see me running, try to keep up. Yeah, there it is. <laughs> there it is. All right, Adam. Well, uh, there's only one thing left to do on this episode of Greatest Trek, and that is our beloved smash hit segment, Warning Boise, a segment in which we um, share our appreciation for folks who are uh, putting the good word out on the internet. And doing it in a way that wouldn't invite the wrong kind of people in. Prepare a buoy and launch it when ready. Warning buoys. An emergency buoy. A warning buoy. This is one from uh, from Blue Sky, the social network that is hornier and less fascistic and less anti-Semitic version of Twitter. And Nerd Hut, uh, at Nerd Hut on Blue Sky, uh, shared one that said... Outstanding show in Minneapolis, St. Paul. I didn't share an embarrassing story, but if I had, it would have been about the time at Mission Chicago where I met Brie Belke and Anne-Marie Siegel and was so in my head about meeting celebrity FODs that I could barely speak. I got to tell Michael that the first time I met Brie Belke in person and the first time I met Anne-Marie Siegel in person, I felt the same way. Oh, yeah. I still feel that way. Yeah. Every time. They're great folks. They really are. 
I wish we'd gone to Mission Chicago. Man, what the fuck? God, it sounds like everyone went to the show in Minneapolis, though. That's it really great. does. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for coming, Michael. We really appreciate everybody that's coming out. And yeah, the um, so the the context for that is people are sharing their embarrassment with us on the Share Your Embarrassment Tour. If you come to a live show, you can uh, write a write a Star Trek story about yourself down on a card, and we might read it from the stage. And we've had some some really amazing moments uh, that people have shared from their lives. And I think people are growing stronger from the sharing. I think you know? so too. I mean, they're really funny. I'll say that. They're amazing. They really kill. Yeah. So uh, it's. <laughs> I think that this has been a tour that has really made me feel a lot less alone in my introducing myself as Wesley to kids at summer camp story. Yeah. And a lot closer to the friends of DeSoto. So uh, thanks to everybody who comes out to a live show and shares their embarrassment with us. Yeah. Plenty more coming up. Looking forward to seeing you there. All right. Well, uh, that is just about it for this episode of Greatest Trek. We're going to toss the keys to the pod shuttle over to Wendy to take us home. Thank you, Wendy. And thanks to everyone for listening. Bye-bye. Greatest Trek is an expert Shimoda podcast on the Maximum Fun Network. It's hosted by Ben Harrison and Adam Pranica, and it's produced and edited by Wendy Pretty. Next Friday, Ben and Adam will be back to talk about Lower Decks Season 4, Episode 7, called A Few Badgies More. And at the end of every episode of this show, we want to thank all the folks who make it possible. Most importantly, our MaxFund members who support on a monthly basis. Members get access to the entire back catalog of bonus content, plus all of the new bonus episodes, which are released every month. It's easy to set up a membership at MaximumFun.org join, and we really appreciate everyone who does that. We also want to thank Adam Ragusea, who composed all of the original music that you hear on this show. Check out his YouTube cooking channel and podcast by searching for Adam Ragusea. Thanks to Nick Dittmore for creating the show art, and thanks to Bill Tilly for managing all of the At Greatest Trek social media pages on Instagram, Twitter, Threads, and Mastodon. Follow those accounts and use the hashtag GreatestTrek to connect with other friends of DeSoto online. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week on Greatest Trek. I'm going to make it seem like I left like a minute before the end. <laughs> <laughs> what happened to Adam at the end of that show? It was like he was, he like, was gone. He was looking at his phone or something. I don't know. Show is dead anyway. <laughs> what difference does it make? Maximum Fun, a worker owned network of artist owned shows supported directly by you.